everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about finally eliminating screen problems in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and Dr. Stacy is joining us today. Welcome, Dr. Stacy. Hey, Melanie. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that we got you back on. We love hearing from you, and we just are so thankful that you are such a great partner with Screen Strong. So welcome, everyone. I'm really glad that y'all are here. If you are one of our regular listeners, welcome back. And if you are a new friend, you will be so happy you found us. And we are so happy that you found us. You're no longer alone with all of your screen problems and questions. You finally have found your people. And you know what? We have answers that may just change your life for the better. So today we have a great show. I know I say that every time, but today it's just one of my most passionate things that we're going to talk about. We are so thankful that we have Dr. Stacy to help us unpack this. But our topic today is about independent play and how our virtual world really has kept our kids from the natural world and what this is doing to them. And I'm reminded of a story when I, when I just a few minutes ago, as we started getting ready for the show, this story just popped in my head and it was such a good example of what we're talking about today. So what happened, we have a little baseball trading card store in our town. Our kids love to trade baseball cards, and that's a wonderful hobby. If your kids like football or baseball, you know, all the things, they can have their little trading cards. It's just so fun. And it's actually not a little hobby. It's kind of a big hobby. So we were in the store, and uh, a kid that we had seen before in the store came in, and our boys kind of like to hang out with him every now and then. And anyway, he walked in. He was about 11, I think, at the time. And our boys asked him if he wanted to ride his bike after with them because they love to ride their bikes up to this trading card store. And he, I'll just never forget what he said. It's just like seared in my brain. And it has really, it's really sad, but it's really motivated me to do a lot of the work that I do. He held up his shiny new $800 iPhone and said to the boys, oh, I can't ride my bike anymore because my mom gave me this phone. And if I break it, she will kill me. And the boys just kind of stared <laughs> at him and said, oh, well, I got a bike instead of a phone. And it is so much more fun. And my mom won't kill me if I wreck it. Because <laughs> I had told them it's okay if they wreck their bike. So anyway, that was just a precursor, I think, of what was happening, what has continued to happen in our culture about how phones have replaced bikes. They've replaced everything in childhood. And one of the first first books that I read after I read PlayStation Nation, of course, you know, that was my first book. But the, the, the next first book, the second book, <laughs> was the book called Play by Stuart Brown. And I have it right here in my hands. And I love this book. It is so worn. And it's all, all the edges are all dog-eared. And it's full of so many highlights that I really need to get another copy. But anyway, I love this book so much. I got copies for all of our school administration at the time. I was that mom. Like I'm like, guys, you have to read this. It's all about play and what's wrong with our kids. And they need to play more. And I was really stuck in this false belief that video games were real play. And that my son, my oldest son, was really playing in a healthy way. After all, it was called a game, right? So I was really duped. But anyway, Brown shares in this book how play is essential for brain development. And honestly, this was the first time I'd ever really understood this concept. He starts the book off by talking about how animals play. And it was fascinating because it's true. I mean, you look at your dog and your cat and they all love to play. It is the driving force that changes the way the brain develops. It actually forms the brain. And when we are stressed, all play stops, right? And when an animal is well-fed and well-rested, then they play. And when they're not, they don't play. But with enough play, the brain works better. And I was fascinated by this. He is, he is very famous for his play histories that he does. And his theory is that he can take a play history from you and find out how you played as a child and he can predict how you will do in your job. And so he goes into large companies and surveys the staff and he can predict who will be your best problem solvers in your company. And it's all based on how you play as a child. It's just really fascinating. He defines real play. And then there's a whole chapter on 
the dark side of play. And he has a whole chapter on video games. And and if he was writing this book today, I'm sure he would have a lot of stuff in here on smartphones and social media as well. But he was the first person to help me understand in the process of healthy play, you do not inflict pain and suffering on others. And video games are not play at all. They do not meet the requirements for healthy play. And boy, do I know that's true. The final thing I want to say about this um, before y'all stop and run out and go get this book. It is so good. It's definitely one you want to get. Play is where our children, our children practice and learn social skills. It's when your daughters are having their tea parties, they're practicing with their teddy bears at the table and even their friends. It's a safe environment to be social. But when they're on social media, they are not playing at all. They're not learning that safe place to practice. They're not there. It is certainly not a safe place. This is why many teens who live on social media are anxious and depressed and they're stuck in immaturity and they're stunted socially because they haven't played enough with each other. So let's dive in, Dr. Stacy. For all of the people who are new listening, why don't you give us a quick background, just a very quick background on your credentials, and then let's dive into our topic on how really the screen world has caused and really forced this decline in independent play. Sure. So I'm Dr. Stacy. I'm a psychiatrist, which means that I went to college and I went to medical school and then I did four years of additional training specifically in mental health. And so I've run an inpatient psychiatric unit. I've worked as in a, a local hospital as a consult psychiatrist, but for the last little bit, I've been what we call a community psychiatrist. So I have a clinic where I see members of our community. I think my youngest patients around five or six, my oldest patients in her eighties, but the majority of my patients are teenagers and college students. So um, I practice in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where there's a big university. And so I see a lot of teenagers and college age kids. A huge part of my work as a psychiatrist is really getting my patients, their families, people that aren't yet my patients, community members to understand really the risks of handheld devices and technology and sort of the overuse concerns I have. So what I have today really is um, information from a very recent scientific article. And so the name of the article is Decline in Independent Activity as a Cause of Decline in Children's Mental Well-Being, a Summary of the Evidence. And so this has been accepted for publication uh, just last month in the Journal of Pediatrics. I wanted to take our listeners through some of this research. If you have children or you know children or teenagers, when you hear this information, you're going to see what we're talking about. So the difference between the childhood of the 1980s or the 1960s or even the 1940s versus today and sort of how that's affecting our mental health. And I just want to also say that for everyone listening, this is for all age children, all ages. Yes. I, I know sometime our podcast, we talk a lot more about teenage we kind of get into that mode and we've had some emails and people are like, oh, can you talk more about kindergartner age and stuff? But this is for, from the time you have your baby, really, all all the way through it all. I mean, we should be playing a lot more as adults too. Yes. So when we hear the word play, we think about tea parties or Legos or, you know, blocks or things that I'm, you know, play is a bigger term for sort of unguided leisure time that's spent sort of in creativity. So the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry together issued a joint statement to the president and his administration that child and adolescent mental health should be declared as a national emergency. So this is a big deal. There's a, a lot of evidence that's popping up about the mental health of our youth and how it's really on the decline. So the thesis of this particular study is that a primary cause of the rise in mental health problems is a decline over many decades in opportunities for children and teenagers to play, to roam, to engage in other activities independent of direct oversight and control by adults. And so that's really what we're talking about is allowing our kids to play, to move about, 
to engage in things without, I mean, there's a lot of terms for saying helicopter parents, lawnmower parents, you know, all of these things, like without us sort of breathing down their necks all the time. Well, and allowing them to make those decisions, Mm -hmm. like we're going to go to the Sandlot field today, or we're going to go ride our bike and go to the candy store. Like there's, there's, I think parents are so much more apt to structure and make all these decisions because they have their phones and they're constantly tracking them. And, you know, this of course goes right into the topic of should you track your kids on your devices right away? I'll just put it out there. I don't think you should. Um, And I think that if you have kids that you need to, you know, you don't, I mean, they're, they're teenagers. They're, you know, you need to read their text. You need to know what's happening, but, but that really provides this terrible layer of control over their ability to express who they are and to, to play safely. Yeah. And I think we have some summary at the end where we'll kind of talk about, it. I've got, I've got a couple of patient examples to share about that. Um, but the first thing that's happened is that there have been, has been a decline in opportunities for children to play independently, to have independent activities. So this article states that beginning in the 1960s and then accelerating in the 1980s, the implicit understanding shifted from that of children as competent, responsible, and resilient to the opposite, as advice focused increasingly on children's needs for supervision and for protection. And so what's declined specifically is the child's freedom to engage in activities that involve some degree of risk and personal responsibility sort of away from adults. So, you know, I'm in my mid forties. And so I can think back to when I was a child and how we would just roam, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we would get on our bikes and um, ride to downtown and go to the bookstore and get ice cream. You know, my parents didn't think anything of that. I mean, that was just sort of, we would do that. Um, And now kids don't do that. And so it's been this, decline that started, you know, mid 1900s, but it sort of has accelerated since. So, you know, children now are a lot more regimented, more constrained than they've ever been. They have fewer socially valued ways to contribute to their family's well-being or to participate in actual community life. And so we're seeing that this is accelerating over time. And going back to sort of what we talk about at Screen Strong, devices are accelerating this even more. And I, I did, I was so guilty, right? I just, I was part of this problem. I'll just confess it right now. I let my old, our oldest son just sit and play his video game all the time. And I remember feeling like, oh, he was so safe. He was just so safe. I know right where he is. It's just such a weird mm-hmm. thing because it feels so okay. And it's not okay. He right. needs to be out getting some skin knees and figuring things out. Right. Like and we need street. to teach ourselves to be okay with the yes. idea that we don't, we're, we may not know where our children are all the time. Yeah. And there's a bigger discussion to be had that we really don't have time for on this podcast, but about like neighbors calling the police because you're letting your kids run the neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, so it's sort of this cultural thing that's changed. (laughs) Yeah. And so we have to sort of push against that a little bit. You know, another thing that has happened is that um, there's this increased time that children must spend in school and on schoolwork at home. And so, you know, it used to be there were less days of school in the year. The school days were shorter. And over time, the days have gotten longer. The amount of work outside of school has increased. You know, we could sit and debate and talk about kind of why that is. But, um, you know, different schools are different. But the average amount of time that U.S. school children ages six to eight spent at school plus homework increased by over 11 hours a week. 1981 and 2003. And the writers of this article say this is equivalent to adding a day and a half to an adult's work week. So think about your work week. If you work Monday through Friday, and then all of a sudden now you're having to work, you know, Monday through Saturday plus Sunday morning, you know, that really has reduced the kid's ability to play. And they're not playing at school because this increased school time is very often accompanied by decreased recess. Not to keep using myself as an example, but I will in this point. Like when I was in school as a kid, we had morning recess, lunch, lunch recess, afternoon recess. So there was like all this time during the day where we were out playing. You know, now a lot of schools really only have like 20 minutes a day of recess. I'm talking about for a second grader. 
And I believe that that is the most important part of the day. All that reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, that's going to come. But I remember picking my kids up um, like in third grade, you know, being carpool line. They jump in the car. The only thing they talked about is what happened on the playground. Right. Like that was their whole day. Right. Like, you know, and, and they may have not had as many playground experience, but that was the only thing that was important as it should have been. That's where they learn how to get along with people and they're getting all their physical energy out. So then what we want to lead into is from this article, a little bit about the decline in children's mental well-being. And I've been a board certified psychiatrist for 15 years. I can tell you that I've seen it decline in front of my eyes. The the intensity of mental health problems, the number of kids that we see, um, sort of how hard it is to treat now versus 15 years ago. And so this article says that 85% of children by the late 1980s were more anxious than the average child in 1956, and that this has continued to grow. So over the last half of the 20th century, the percentage of young people who scored above the level that generally signifies like um, an anxiety or depressive disorder increased between five to eight fold. And then by 2019, over 36% of high school students reported persistent findings of sadness or hopelessness over the past year. And I don't have all the studies in front of me, but there are a number of different studies that have found similar results, like a significant number of high school students just say they're sad or hopeless. And then the rate of suicide among children under age 15 has risen significantly by 2019, suicide was, was actually the second leading cause of death for children from age 10 to 15 behind only unintentional injury. And so that's new over the last yeah. decade or so. And then during the previous year, uh, almost 20% of U.S. high school students seriously considered attempting suicide. Uh, 16% almost made a suicide plan. Around 9% attempted suicide one or more times. That's almost 1 in 10 high school students. And then uh, almost 3% made a suicide attempt requiring medical treatment. So this is a significant increase. It's a very big increase. And, you know, video games and social media are so depressing, Dr. Stacey. I mean, they're so stressful. And if you're focusing all your free time and your downtime and you think that's playing... You know, in a game, you're constantly worried that your character is going to be killed. And on social media, there is a fear of what I call a social death every minute. If you don't get liked on something, tagged in something, if you wake up in the morning and you don't have X amount of, you know, activity on the Instagram you did last night. I mean, it's no wonder. Right. So what are the immediate effects of independent activity on mental well-being? So how are we connecting these two things? Research, as well as sort of everyday observation, indicates that play is a direct source of children's happiness. And if you have kids and you've seen them out playing, if you let them just go play for an entire day, you will see this in your children. I mean, you'll see this sort of lift in their mood. I mean, they're going to have arguments with their neighbors or their siblings, you know, and there's some you know, uh, damage control you have to do there. But overall, play is a direct source of happiness. It's an antidote to all the stress that is in life. And that's for adults as well, right? But yes. as a kid, it's the only time in your life that you can can be a kid. Right. Be, and we've taken that away, or at least for screens from parents, we're at least aware of it and we're adding it back in. And as kids get off their screens and they start playing more, the first thing you see is just this, sigh of relief in this happiness and the joy that comes back. Right. And a, a number of reviews have summarized evidence for the value of play in promoting children's mental well-being. For example, adding more recess time in elementary school showed consistent findings of improved social and emotional well-being with actually no loss and sometimes a gain in academic mm -hmm. performance. And this has been something I've talked to numerous elementary schools about, like, let's look at it. Let's add some more recess. Let's add some mm -hmm. more independent play time. You know, one thing to know about play is that it has to be initiated and directed by the players themselves. So not by an outside authority. So for play, mm -hmm. I'm not talking about PE class and I'm not talking right. about a structured basketball lesson 
or anything related to a device, right? Because that's yeah. not initiated and directed by the player. That's from the outside authority, the attention engineers from the video game company or social media or the parents. And so when I talk about play, I mean, this is like complete creativity from the child. Yeah. And that's one thing to really reiterate that when they are playing a video game, when they're on social media, they are not playing at all. They are being directed by somebody else's idea of play. Right. Children without an adult caregiver that was obviously present were far more likely to be involved in vigorous play than children who were being monitored by an adult. Now, for those of us that have children in 2023, this is going to take some work on our end because we were sort of brought up as parents to have this sort of feeling that we have to be watching our children all the time. Right. And I was just discussing this with my 12 year old and she's almost 13 and she loves kids. Like she'll probably be a preschool teacher or something when she's grown and she really wants to babysit. And I was saying that when I was 11, I started babysitting kids in my neighborhood. And now it's very rare to find a family who will allow a person that can't drive to babysit their kids. Well, I love what you're saying here about playing when an adult or caregiver is not present. That is the key. That is the key. So we did Sandlot um, activities quite by accident when my younger boys were young, like in fifth grade, and they would call everybody the night before. They would have everybody after school meet over at the Sand at the Sandlot game where it was just at the park. And and so this is such a good example of this that. I didn't even realize how how good this was at the time, but I would go, but Dr. Stacey, I would sit on a picnic table way far away where I could kind of see them and there'd be like eight or 10 kids and all the moms would drop them off and they would all leave and they were having the best time. There were no parents, there were no coaches, there was nobody telling them what to do and they would get on the little bitty field for the t-ball kids or something and they would have like home run derbies. Mm -hmm. And so you can, there is a way, but you're right. It's really hard to do this because you get turned in to the police, right? If you leave your kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I would be on the picnic table. They didn't even really know I was there, right? And I couldn't, I mean, they were so far away, but I could see them. So that is, there are ways that you can do this. And that was a routine. And they're about to graduate now and their friends are still talking about that. I think that was one of their most uh, wonderful childhood experiences. Just exactly what you're saying here. Yeah. And we we're lucky because we have a, a, a few families in our neighborhood that have a lot of children like we do. And so they can kind of get together and do a lot of in, yeah. independent play. And there's a lot of kids of different ages. It's like one time they all got together and spent two or three days coming up, like performing Hamilton. And like, I had like a part in the play. I mean, so if you let kids do this without parents, you know, sort of orchestrating it, they can do amazing things, you know, and children who play freely in neighborhoods. Now, of course, not everyone lives in a safe neighborhood, right? And so that's a reality. But for those of us that do live in a safe neighborhood, children who can play freely in those neighborhoods spent on average twice as much time outdoors, were much more active while they were outdoors had more than twice as many friends and had better motor and social skills than those that weren't allowed to do that. So wow. I really encourage the listeners, if you live in a safe neighborhood, let your kids go play freely in the neighborhood. And that doesn't mean let them go to somebody else's house and play a video game. Exactly. You, you do You do have to kind of know. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to orchestrate it like you don't want to hover over them, but, but you have to kind of know. I think you have happening. to let your kids and the other parents know your expectations that, you know, I want my kids to play. I want your kids to play with my kids. Play in our family does not include technology. Yeah. And that's fine. Too, you know, I would tell the parents, the other parents and the neighbors that my kids were allergic to porn and I didn't want them on a computer and they would all laugh. And you've heard me say that before. And, 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 you know, you have to stick to your guns and you have right. to orchestrate it from afar. Right. And so this article says that beyond play, other forms of independent activity also appear to promote young people's immediate well-being. For example, active travel to school like walking, cycling, or scootering correlated positively with the measure of psychological well-being in many um, primary school children. So a lot of kids don't want to cycle or scooter to school anymore because they want to be on their phone. So they want right. to sit in the car with their parents or on the bus instead yeah. of you know, walking or cycling so they can be on their phone. So that's something to think about with kids. High school students who held part-time jobs felt 
more independent and happier. And so, you know, that's an independent activity that you really should foster in your high school student. There are lots of opportunities now for for kids to get part-time jobs. And I don't mean like a work from home YouTuber job. I mean like a real job where they go out and use their hands, they use their brains, they meet people, they use their social skills. And then independent adventures and active contributions to the welfare of the family or the community actually increases mental well-being in teens. So, Mm -hmm. for example, I got this email recently about a local summer camp that was looking for volunteer junior counselors for the summer, you know, a week at a time. And so I told my twins that are 12. And so I told them, this is something you're going to do this summer. You're going to, and you know, they had to apply for it. They had to do an interview. And so they're going to go do that and help out their community. Yeah. You know, and they're going to work as hard as those counselors that are getting paid. But hopefully right. they're going to learn something. They're going to volunteer. They're going to help the community. Um, so that's sort of a bigger thing. But even the smaller things that your kids really need to do to contribute to the welfare of your family while you're at home. So these Mm -hmm. are things like chores, um, you know, being involved in things around the home. You know, a lot of kids that are, you know, screen dependent, they come home at the end of the day and they go to their room and they're on their screens and their parents won't see them again. I really didn't understand the magnitude of that because our house doesn't run that way. But when I talked to my patients about it and their parents, that's, that's how it works in in most homes these days. Mm -hmm. So as Mm -hmm. parents, we need to really be the sort of stop sign for that and say, no, you're going to contribute. Whether that's Mm -hmm. sort of uh, letting us get to know you better at the dinner table and telling us more about your day and contributing in that way, or if that's walking the dog or, you know, washing the windows or emptying the dishwasher or pulling weeds in the backyard. (laughs) I mean, there are so many things that kids can do from three years old and up, you know? Yeah. I think my kids played so much because if they were home, I made them do chores. And that's what my husband said. He's so funny. He's like, you know, if they're telling you they're bored, you need to keep a list of chores. And then when they come to you and they say, we're bored, you can say, okay, well, I need help, you know, scrubbing the rust off the tile outside or, you know, I mean, they're like, I'm good, you know, and then I would always go get the toilet brush and just show it to them and they would run out the door. And while you're talking, I'm remembering that when they were pretty young, I'll have to think back exactly on the age, but it was like third or fourth grade. They rode their bike. I don't know, maybe it was fifth grade. They rode their bike to get their hair cut in our little downtown area and in our suburb. And all my peers thought I was crazy. They couldn't believe I was doing this because these were people that had older kids that they were telling me they wouldn't even let them cross the busy street near Matthews. And I'm like, wow, my kids are riding their bike to get their hair cut. And it was scary. I'll be honest for me. I mean, I remember that vividly that first time they did it and I watched them cycle out of the neighborhood because they had to go through the thing where you had to hit the light and wait for the crosswalk thing. You know, it was mm-hmm. nerve wracking for me, but boy, did it boost their self-esteem and their sheer happiness. And they would just go tell everybody that they, you know, they, they just felt so grown up and so accomplished, Mm -hmm. I guess. And that's what we're looking for because that's what causes a lot of the healthy happiness that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another um, statement from this article was that teenagers that were in school were noted to be the most stressed people in the U S and 83% of them attributed their stress to school. Now, I don't know the reason for that, and it didn't sort of delve into that in the article, but as a psychiatrist and a mom, I think that part of that is this phenomenon of multitasking where kids are on their devices at school. Mm-hmm. They're not really learning when they're at school. You know, and I teach a class at a high school as well, and so I see that in my students. It's like they don't know how to, like, take advantage of the time they're in the classroom, and so then when they're mm-hmm. at home they're doing sports or activities or they have a job or, you know, whatever it is they're doing outside of school, they're spending, you know, average nine hours a day on their phone. And that's going to make you stressed because what happens is you start to lose sleep. You start to feel more stressed. So I'm sure that's a multifactorial reason besides, besides just not getting to have independence. Well, not to mention all the stressful things that you're doing on that screen. And so a lot of times in school, you know, this, if you walk through any high school campus in the hallway at lunch during their breaks, and probably even in the lower schools, they're on their phone. So they're not even playing enough. And so that's right. Stress has to be balanced out with play. Like we, we are going to have some stress in our life, but we have to also have the antidote to that, which is the play. And they're not getting any of that. So they come home and they get back on their screen, trying to feel like they're getting entertained and it doesn't work. Right. It's getting worse. 
So the next thing to talk about is what are the long-term effects of independent activity on mental well-being? So how does that protect you from a mental health perspective sort of down the road? Beyond promoting immediate mental well-being like we talked about, this independent activity that children should have may also help to build mental capacities and attitudes that foster their well-being down the road, so in the future. We talk about an internal locus of control. So that's where you feel as a person that you're sort of in control. So a low internal locus of control is actually highly predictive of anxiety and depression in children and in adults. So it seems likely that a decline in an internal locus of control was a mediating cause Mm. of the decline in mental well-being. So if children have little experience taking control of their own lives and they are unlikely to develop a strong sense that they can exert such control now and when they're older. When we think of kids whose parents sort of regulate their screen time, we think of that as being controlling parents. But what I want the listeners to think about is that that's not necessarily the case because these devices are controlling our children. If you're not allowing some restrictions on what they can do on a device, these attention engineers are doing that for you. And so they are becoming the control over your children. So when we talk about this internal locus of control, we're talking about when it comes to sort of how kids are spending their time. And what we do know about kids and devices is that the more they use them, the more that device has control over them. Instead of you being the one that's setting parameters, it's the device that's doing that. So I don't know if that makes sense to everyone. Yeah. Well, it's a loss of choice. Yeah. So what you're saying is that when you have a choice over the fun things that you're doing, and I remember even on the Sandlot baseball, they would make up games. It was their choice and they would make up all the different rules. You know, every day there'd be different games. And on a screen, you don't do that. It's all done for you. So you, I could totally see what you're saying. You lose that ability to feel confident and to purposely make the rules in your game. And, you know, you can argue and say, well, there's some games that allow you to do that. Well, let me tell you, those are not the games our kids are getting, you know, addicted to. And those are not the games that we're talking about. But I love this idea that your, your child has to be in charge. It's just like, you can't structure their free play. They have to go out and they have to, like you said with your kids, they made up the Hamlet or whatever. They come up with what they're doing. You cannot orchestrate that. You can set the boundaries for it and you can give them some tools and, do some things to make it happen, but you you should never, as a parent, go in there and tell them how to play. Right. And so there's significant positive correlations between the amount of free play time and the following things. Scores on two different measures of executive functioning, which we've talked about executive functioning a million times on this podcast. Um, indices of emotional control and social ability, which is very mm-hmm. important for our kids to be able to do those things. And then a, a score two years down the road on a measure of self-regulation. So allowing this sort of self-structure time where kids can free play and sort of make that structure themselves is definitely benefiting them down the road. Now, this next statement is hard for me as a parent because I Mm -hmm. am not a risk taker. And so, but what this study showed is that risky play where children deliberately put themselves in moderately frightening situations. And I'm talking about like climbing high into a tree. Okay. I'm not talking about getting on Pornhub. (laughs) Helps protect against the development of phobias and actually reduces future by increasing their confidence that they can deal effectively with emergencies. So if we don't ever let them climb a tree, they don't ever know how to get out of a tree, right? And so we have to let, and like you were saying with the bikes, like one day these kids are going to drive a car, right? And so letting them ride their bike, you know, a mile or two is really good for their um, Mm self-confidence, their decision making. And so we have to do these little things to allow them to sort of, build up to the bigger things. Yeah. And you start off by riding bikes with them as a family and going down to the Greenway or going down to downtown and you all do it together over and over. And then the day comes where they go and they do it themselves. And that is what is so hard to let go. And we're, of course, I would want to make sure they have their helmet on and I would do that kind of stuff, but then I would have to let them go. Mm -hmm. And when you are allowing your children more time in the natural world, those things will happen. And I remember a time when they did 
go and they did have a wreck on their bike and they had to walk their bike back. And it was a very good learning thing. And it was tough and there was blood on the knee and the whole thing. But they, like you said, they built confidence. That's right. With that. And they learned from that instance yeah. how to deal with a complex situation, which having a device in your pocket all the time is preventing us from learning those things. I mean, all of us, right? Right. They looked at people who reported a lot of free and adventurous play in their elementary school years, and they were shown to have later on more social success, higher self-esteem, better overall psychological and physical health in adulthood than those who reported less such play. So they've looked at that over years. Stuart Brown says it also predicts your problem-solving ability down the road. Yes, yes. That's why he is so, he, he, he looks at your play history as a child and he can tell you all of these things you just said, mm-hmm. the social success, the higher self-esteem, mm-hmm. you're going to be a healthier, happier person. And more results showed that there was a positive correlation between controlling overprotective parents and the measures of anxiety and depression. So, you know, we're talking about parents who always want to know where their kid is every second of the day. They're sort of you know, um, really controlling every move they make, only allow, you know, certain types of play and certain things. And so we want to make sure that we can allow our children to self-direct their play to some degree. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's shown to reduce anxiety and depression in the future. So just real quick on um, some things from self-determination theory. So there's this basic psychological needs theory, also known as BPNT that states that a prerequisite for a healthy sense of self-determination and for mental well-being is the fulfillment of three basic psychological needs. So that's autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So autonomy, as we know, is freedom to choose your own path. Competence is feeling sufficiently skilled to pursue those those paths. And then relatedness is having friends and colleagues for support, including emotional support. When I'm talking about autonomy and freedom to choose one's own path, I'm not talking about giving your kid unrestricted access to the Internet. That is not freedom for a child to choose their own path. That's allowing thousands and thousands of other children and adults to influence your child's path, and they're not doing it themselves. So fulfillment of these basic needs is highly predictive of mental well-being and actually success in a lot of different areas of their life. Well, you can get more on this. We, um, I love that you brought this up because in podcast number 38 in our Screenstorm Families podcast channel, Tracy Markle talked about this. So if you want to get more right. information on that, you can go listen. It's really good. Perfect. Just real quick, just a short bit about this problem from an evolutionary perspective. And so if you go and find this article and read it, there's a whole description about sort of different cultures over time and how they've dealt with independent play. And we're going to put the article in the show notes Perfect. so everybody can get to so, it. Children have remarkable capacities to adapt to prevailing conditions, but actually for many, this may occur at a considerable psychological cost, including increased anxiety, depression, and a reduced sense of agency. And so we just want to make sure that we are allowing our children to have as many of these opportunities as we can because the amount of time that this sort of autonomy has changed, like it was the same for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? The amount of autonomy that we allowed children to have. And then very quickly over the last 40 years, it has changed so dramatically. That's really causing anxiety and depression. Um, and kids. Yeah. And they're not resilient against that. There, yeah. There's resilience on certain levels of certain things like we, we think, but we know now more from the study of the teenage brain with Francis Jensen and all the people out mm-hmm. there doing all the work on that, that, that teenagers are not as resilient as we thought they were. Right. So all in all, this evidence convinces us that the decline in children's independent activity and also as a result, their mental well-being is a national and international health crisis. And we really should treat it that way. And so that's part of the work I do in my clinical practice is trying to get people to understand like this mental health crisis in kids did not come out of nowhere. Like all these things have converged to lead us to where we are today. And in my opinion, it's largely driven by the change from independent play to playing on screens and sort of the ever-present technology that we have. Which makes 
a lot of sense Mm -hmm. because the environment has changed. Right. And it's also significantly affecting sleep, which um, we can talk about another time. So if children are to grow up well-adjusted, they need ever-increasing opportunities for independent play. So this includes self-directed play, meaningful contributions to family and community life, like we talked about, because these are signs that they're trusted, responsible, and capable. And so we want to let our kids know that we trust them. We think that they're responsible and that they're capable of doing things. And I'm not saying we say to our kids, you know, we trust you. So I'm going to give you this phone with internet access. That's not what I'm talking about because you can trust your kid all day long, but that's hundreds of thousands of people that have then have access to your child. That's like a different avenue that I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about trusting them to go out and play with their peers. Parents in some neighborhoods have worked together to create places and times where children can play freely with that freely with other children. And so they'll have like an adult present, like you were saying, okay, all the kids are going to go to the neighborhood park without an adult, but we're going to assign one adult to sort of like sit in the parking lot. Um, yeah. Just sort of be present for safety reasons, especially if you live in an area that's not super safe, but not to manage what they're doing, but just to be there for safety. In case I had to drive somebody, you know, to the emergency room. That's right. all I was there for. Right. And I just want to interject here where you just said not to manage their play. There were every single time we did this, there was a little spat, little argument. Somebody got mad. And I sat from afar and I watched the most incredible thing. And it was how the kids worked it out. And, and they didn't meet, need me to run over there and say, okay, well, who hit who first and yada, yada. I didn't do any of it unless it was blood. I, I wasn't, unless there was blood, I wasn't even going to act like I was there, but I would watch how certain kids would rise to the occasion as the leader in the group and how they worked that leadership to solve the problem. It was the most fascinating thing. And it was like the practice that they're needing for the boardroom one day. Right. And they don't get that on a video game and, and they don't get that on social media. So so try to hold yourself back and let this happen. Your kids have to have this in their life and it helps their overall happiness and their their well-being when you know that there was almost a big fight, but then you negotiated and everybody compromised and there was a discussion and then they all shook hands and they were good and they kept playing. Right. And there, there was no adult intervention. And so I would like to encourage parents, and if there's any you know, physicians, pediatricians, or anything listening, I would encourage you as well to talk with parents about talking to their children, teaching their children how to be safe in an independent activity. So if you climb tall on a tree, how do you safely get down? How do you cross the street safely? Right. Because this may seem foreign to people that are my age that to not know how to cross the street safely, but some kids literally don't know how to do that because they haven't done it. What are the safety rules for bicycling? Like they used to teach this in school. I don't know that they do that anymore. The advantages of moving about with siblings or friends rather than alone. So trying to get somebody to go along with you and sort of do something, um, there's strength in numbers. And also Mm -hmm. one of the most important things that I see that's lacking because of devices is kids knowing how to ask for help when they need it because they're always relying on that little eight inch screen to give them the help they need. But really having them go about sort of roam and play without the screen and teaching them how teaching them how to ask for help, how to find a trusted adult, how to, you know, make sure they have your phone number memorized. You know, I mean, things that are sort of like life skills. And then if if you guys have time, check out there's a nonprofit called Let Grow. And one thing I thought was kind of cute on there or interesting is that they have some little cards you can print out that are sort of like your kid can take with them. That's basically like my mom, my parents know that I'm not, you know, because this is, this is the world we live in. I mean, people will stop kids and be like, why are you out here by yourself? Where are your parents? Oh yeah, I had it. I had a store owner at the downtown area call me one day and said, do you know that Andrew and Evan are here on their bike? And I said, I do. I do know that. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was frustrating. Yeah. But that's just, you know, that's the culture we live in now. And so we want to teach our kids kind of what to do and what what, teach our kids what to say when another adult approaches them. So there's a little bit of learning that happens there. Well, thank you. This has just been so wonderful. Can you just wrap up with how can you encourage 
a mom or dad who's really struggling with letting their kid go outside by themselves. I there it's a fear. How can you encourage those parents? It's they're listening and they're like, "Oh no, I'm going to have to let them ride their bike." <laughs> you know, I think one thing that helps especially if you don't have numerous children that are similar in age is to find another family that is similar to you. Yes. Like maybe there's another family who feels that unease, a little bit of anxiety about letting their kid do that, but also feels you know, in their gut that I should really let my kid do these things, bring those kids together, talk to them about it and sort of let them be strength in numbers, so to say. And a couple just reminders to sum up some of the things we've talked about. So just a reminder that smartphones and video games are not independent play. Even if, you know, I had somebody ask me, well, what about educational apps? That's not independent play. So that's directed play by the device. The time sink of technology actually further takes away from a child's or a teen's ability to spend time in independent play. So just remember that when you're thinking about how much time your kids spend on technology and that the control of the phone and all of its apps, reminders, influenced by others actually further adds to the child's loss of autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So let's try to strengthen those things and really limit that technology time. That is so good. Thank you so much, Dr. Stacy. This is so helpful. This is what a great wealth of information here with all this stuff. It's so great that we um, were able to get this all in. So you'll definitely want to share this podcast with some of your friends, but thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. It's been great. And we'll, we'll see you. We'll see you next time on another podcast really soon. <laughs> Sounds good. We are so glad that we can have Dr. Stacy on and we are just really thankful for all of our experts. If you know someone, um, maybe you have a physician in your area, maybe it's your own pediatrician that is screen strong, let us know. I'll have them on. We love getting stories. We love hearing from experts. I think that it's always so much easier and so much better when we can have medical experts talking about the realities of this and the research. Let us know if you have any questions. You can email team at screenstrong.com if you have an idea for a show or if you know someone who would be a good guest on the show, let me know. Thank you so much for listening today. We have really messed things up trying to pretend that screen time with video games and social media, mostly is what I'm talking about, not watching family movies, but screen time is a good substitute for real play. It's not, even though it's called a game, it's not a game. It's not, it's not a healthy form of natural play. And I, for one, oh, really messed this up with, we you know, with my my oldest, and we had a wonderful discovery with the younger kids about how to live outside of the screen box, the screen bubble, and how to get them into the natural world so they can experience all these things that kids are supposed to experience. If you've messed some things up in your house, that's okay. You are here today and you're going to fix it and you're going to do a little U-turn like I did and you're going to start having fun with your kids and they are going to have fun because you are going to explain to them how they need to play. <laughs> you can't orchestrate, like Dr. Stacy said, the details of that play, but we certainly can structure our lives and our homes and our backyards so there is more time for free play. Remember, our kids are not adults and they need a childhood. With that childhood, their biggest job is to play. They need to play. All these other things will come. When their play history is healthy, like Stuart Brown so eloquently says in his book, when they have a healthy play history, they will be happier down the road when they are an adult. And even now today, I want you to think of some things that you can do for your own play. It is so important that we all have that downtime, that we get off the screen. The screen, remember, is not healthy downtime. So your homework this week, what can you do? What can you do today as you're listening to this podcast? Maybe you jot a few notes. What can you do right now in your home? 
to have more real play? And, and what can you kind of stop doing? I know one thing that parents have to stop doing is just being fearful that when they let their kids outside, they're going to get hurt because they may. And that's all part of the play. So what can you do this week to increase play opportunities for your kids? I love that Dr. Stacy talked about that we do this in a group. We have a tribe, we have a village, and that certainly worked for us. It is hard when you have an only child, and we can certainly address that more as we go through our podcast um, this season. But the, even with an only child, there are things that they can do, that they can build, that they can create. A lot of different play activities include creating something, whether you're building a fort in the backyard or digging something or planting something, all these things, you know, end up with a creation. So think about what you can do this week to increase play opportunities in your child's life. And remember that you don't have to play with your kids all the time. Now, now when we're screen strong, you know, we are not doing video games, social media, and pornography. Those are the three things we're not doing. <laughs> and, and so we tend to spend more time with our kids and that's okay. I'm not saying that you shouldn't spend more time with your kids. We have so much more fun with our kids than we, we ever did with our oldest because we took those toxic things out. But I'm trying to really encourage you to think of things that they can do where you're not involved at all, where they start feeling very accomplished, where they start feeling very confident in their social abilities. Maybe it's planning a movie night where they invite their friends over to watch a movie. Maybe it's planning um, a bike ride or like we did so much in their elementary and middle school years, they, they, they play in sandlots. You could have a bunch of kids come over and play basketball. There's all kinds of things you can do. Just give them a few ideas, give them some, some rope to get out there and let go. Just, you have to let go of your kids. What's another part of your homework is to read the book play. That's the title play by Stuart Brown. And the tag on it says, Play, how it shapes the brain, opens the imagination, and invigorates the soul. One of my favorite books. The next thing, please get our Screen Strong Lifestyle course. This will help you so much to just be more confident in your decision to reduce this amount of digital play that's in our kids' life. And remember, we have bulk rates for your school. And be on the lookout for our student version of the course. It's in the works now. We are so excited. I can't even tell you how excited we are about this. You are going to love this course because this is for your kids. And we're teaching them about all this stuff that you're learning. We are a nonprofit organization. Please remember that and contribute when you can we need donations to keep these podcasts flowing. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you remove the screen conflicts from your home. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, play more and stay strong. Stay strong.